Hello everyone, it is now 5pm on this Wednesday evening in Kingston and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca. Welcome to this week's segment of Today in YGK with me, your host, Alexandra Fernandez. Today in YGK brings you need-to-know news about what's going on right here in our beautiful city of Kingston. From current news, special segments, and interviews with some amazing guests, I'm sure you'll find something of interest that gets you to tune in. If you have any news to share with me, please contact me via email, which is news at cfrc.ca. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. Alexandra here, and a happy Canada Day from me to you. I hope that you have amazing plans to enjoy yourself today, and that you're enjoying the beautiful weather that we've had over the past couple of days. I also hope you're keeping safe out there with everything that's going on. I know that the Kingston area for quite a while had no cases of COVID-19 for a few weeks, but um, there have been 30 confirmed cases since Tuesday morning. There was a COVID-19 outbreak at Bin's Nail Spa in which 16 people, including six employees, tested positive for the virus. Kingdom Nails and Spa is also another nail salon linked to positive cases of the virus here in Kingston. Um, but as a result of this outbreak, Kingston has taken the necessary steps to make sure that its um, residents are comfortable and safe. They have made it mandatory to wear face masks and or coverings in indoor, all indoor public spaces um, like grocery stores, hair salons, nail salons now. Um, as well as more places um, as well. More than 3,000 people were tested, um, went to go get tested over the weekend, which is great that um, people are going to go get tested so that way they are not almost oblivious to um, what could possibly be happening. Um, and people who have been present at these nail salons linked to COVID outbreaks have been asked to isolate at home. Um, but just remember to keep safe, um, wear your masks, sanitize, and wash your hands, and just be vigilant of certain spaces. Um, If you've been tuning into my show for a while now, you know that I love focusing on a lot of the events that were supposed to physically happen here in the city, but obviously due to COVID-19, a lot of them have shifted online. In in the past, I've covered the Skeleton Park Arts Festival, Kingston Pride, the Ballytobin Festival at the Isabel Bader Center, which is still going on for another two months. It is a summer-long music festival online so be sure to check it out and you can do that by visiting the Isabel website it is a free online concert you can check out any of the events that are left um, and just go to www.queensu.ca backslash the Isabel and you can find all the information up on there Clearly, if I'm excited to talk about all of these amazing events, you can tell that I have a love for the arts. Besides the fact that I am a film and music student at Queen's, um, the arts here in Kingston is one of the reasons that I absolutely love being in the city. There is such a vibrant art scene here in which musicians, visual artists, performers, dancers, writers, they all contribute to such a great place here just full of life and culture and new experiences which is why I have been in collaboration with the Kingston Arts Council to bring you folks some special programming on my show to feature young artists here in Kingston and talk to them about their experiences as an artist in the city and how the pandemic 
um, has affected their work. Today on air with me, I first have Francisco Corbett, who is an artist here in Kingston and who has some amazing work. He had released five albums before the age of 21. He has done art shows at the TED Center, as well as Toronto, and even um, live performances in New York City. Um, after him, I will be interviewing Mariah Horner, who is the co-founder of the Cellar Door Project, and who is also the festival director of the CFRC Shortwave Theatre Festival. So first, we're going to give Francisco a call, and then we'll have a chat with Mariah. Hi, it's Alexandra from CFRC. Wonderful. Hi, good to talk to you. And you too as well. How are you today? I'm good. I just did some errands, and now I am walking up to my girlfriend's house to have lunch. Awesome. Um, so... Um, as you know, um, Laura put us in touch um, because you're part of like the YGK Arts Project in which they feature a lot of local um, Kingston artists and stuff um, throughout their website and on social media. Um, mm -hmm. And I read a little bit about um, the kind of stuff that you do and whatnot. And um, I was I looking at your... Yeah, and I was looking at um, your artwork and your Instagram, and it just seems like you've done a lot of cool projects. And I just wanted to talk to you about your career, kind of how you got here and what else there is down the road for you, I guess. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds um, great. You want to just jump into it? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so can you just first tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. My name is Francisco Corbett. I'm 22 years old now. I have been painting seriously and creating as an artist for about five years now, seriously. It all stemmed from when I saw a Jean-Michel Basquiat show in Toronto. And I remember I had been pointing out that show by my father, and I actually walked around the whole exhibit twice and then tried to sneak into a teacher like they had a teacher's version so you could teach these teach about these paintings academically of course and i tried to sneak into the like seminar that was happening in the gallery the toronto uh, ago right and it didn't work out but <laughs> but i was like my first interest in something a little more serious i'd always been interested in like street art and everything and i had my run-ins with the law unfortunately in that regard but mm -hmm. i loved the freedom that that was conveyed and especially in Basquiat, you could see that the same freedom that was, well, he started as a street artist, but the same freedom that was started from street art and freedom like that, he was able to capture on a canvas with color and imagery and his own personal touch on everything. And I was enamored for so long. And then that translated into uh, me living my life the way I'm living now, just creating really cool concepts and everything that I can try and get my hands into. I mess around with fashion. And uh, I'd say more or less, uh, more now than ever, I'm a performance artist and a concept artist. So I, I allow myself to not just paint. I try to get my hands into every single medium possible that I am attracted to at the time. <laughs> awesome. Um, and when did when and how did you get into the whole music and art and performance scene? So music, I had been working. I was just talking about this with my friend the other day. Music, I had been doing like writing like rap lyrics or whatever since I was like 12 years old. Okay. But then, wow. the, yeah. So, but and I really liked it. I saw like the allure of it all. I thought it was cool. We would just like my friend was making beats on like a simple like loop machine on his computer, mm -hmm. and we still do that to this day, which is really funny. But nice. that was like like pre 2015. But in 2015, everything started to get serious. I actually have a five-year-old kid now who was born in 2015, mm -hmm. uh, and his name is Luca, and he's a big, big, big part of my life. And that made me want to, that made me want to do everything more seriously. So in 2015, when I had the opportunity to, I was kind of like at a different spot in my life. I didn't know what was happening, but I had a lot of energy and I needed to fill it in. So I started mm -hmm. painting more seriously, making music more seriously, 
And right. then that kind of just tra uh, translated into, oh, well, like, now I have this cool idea. I wonder how I do this. Organizing things with other artists here in town, meeting graphic designers, meeting people that I really admired and working with them and having the chance to work on, like, these new cool projects, like performance pieces. And I guess that was just kind of like a natural progression. There was never an aha moment of, like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. It was more like, oh, yeah, that would be a thing that I could do. And then yeah. it just happened like that, very natural. That's awesome. That's really great to yeah. hear. Um, and so have you been based in Kingston like your whole life or have you just like, or did you move yeah. here at some point? No, I, uh, I grew up here. Uh, I was adopted actually when I was five months old and I've lived here. Now I'm 22, but I've lived here my whole life. Oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, though Kingston is uh, in my mind, like it's, it's different, right? Cause you have the Queens students and I myself didn't go to school. I dropped out in grade 10 actually from KCBI. Mm -hmm. And just recently went back and finished, which is a whole other can of worms. But, <laughs> yeah, I've been based in Kingston. My life is here in Kingston, but I love the ability to be able to travel. And, of course, now with COVID, I can't really do that. But I've just been locked up in my home studio here in Kingston, just working constantly. That's awesome. That's really great to hear that you're still keeping busy during this time and stuff. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um. So in regards to your artwork, either – Speaking to um, your performance stuff, music, and your visual artwork as well, where does a lot of your inspiration kind of stem from with that? It's a good question. I'd have to say the energy behind it all. When I have the energy to do all this sort of stuff, it's just, as I said before, it's like a natural thing to want to jump from thing to thing. And learning about the culture of art and learning about, like, the history of like, our history and what people have done in the past. And then, uh, for example, a performance art piece I did in the Market Square called Confessions was a, like a modern day take on Marina Ambrokovich's piece. I can't remember the title of it, but she had 67 items or 70 items laid out on a table and had these people come and use, like, use these items however they chose on her. And she couldn't say anything and she didn't talk to them and she didn't interact with people. So a piece that I did in the modern day in Kingston two summers ago was I stood in the market square for four hours straight, no shirt mm -hmm. on. And I let people come and write on me and all their fears and anxieties. And I wouldn't interact with them. And I would do sort of the same, a similar thing of Marina Ambrakovich. Like I'll, I'll be your canvas. I'll take what you want to give me. I'll allow you to do what you want to do with me. So from that, I mean, like that was just produced from just like hearing about that and just learning about that. So investigating art culture and investigating art history and doing research into things that I thought were cool. And, like, for example, a lot of artists that I admire, like, from the painters like Picasso and Basquiat, Warhol, to music artists like Kanye West, and uh, people who just make music, tons, like, tons and tons of music, like Lil Uzi and Future. I love the work ethic behind it all. But just from specifically those great artists like Kanye and Picasso and Warhol, all those guys, you just learn mm -hmm. so much stuff and look who they look to and then look where they're looking and, and you can make your own destiny from that you can choose your own path from that mm -hmm. that sounds mm -hmm. really really awesome um and speaking of your performance pieces um i um was reading up um on your website that you had a um, performance piece that took place in new york city um last yes. august um can you about a year ago a little, now yeah yeah um can you just talk a little bit about that and what it was yeah actually it's funny you mentioned that i was just going to bring that up <laughs> what it was was I had intended to do a performance art piece called Love Me New York. At the time, I didn't really realize how much of a performance it was, but I went into it with the, the thought of like, okay, this is all going to be created on the spot. I don't, I'm not bringing any paint. I'm not bringing anything with me. It's just going to be me in New York for nine days, 
and to see what I can produce. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't have very much money for food or for paint. I ended up spending the majority of the money on the paint and having to eat bread and peanut butter only for my food for like about six of the nine days that I was there. It became so much more of a performance than I thought it would. Not that it wasn't intended to be that, but it started out as like, oh, well, I'll just go to New York and I'll do this performance piece. And I don't know the degree of how bad it's going to get or the degree of how much pressure it's going to be or the degree of what a physical performance piece it will be. Like kind of like mm-hmm. an endurance performance piece. So in the same vein, the same piece that I did in the Market Square, I had this feeling of like my body like actually shifting in the process of it. And mm-hmm. one night in New York when I'm working on this, when I'm working on all the paintings that I'm doing out there, uh, creating the show, I have that similar feeling of this like physical shift inside of me, which was really interesting so it proved that it was more of an endurance performance art piece than i thought it was it it was and it's interesting now because we're going back in and i'm actually writing a book on it right now and we're going to publish that in august so august on the anniversary because it's about one year ago august 16th we're with my friend eric elchen we're launching a whole virtual version of that show so i had created a big lay i had created a big layout of the american flag with these massive like eight foot long cardboard pieces i created the outline of the american flag on the warehouse that i had rented and was subsequently sleeping out of so that is all going to be top down looking on it in the website there's going to be a lot of written components i'm like going back into all my notes and all my photos and piecing together these like this performance and documenting it in a completely new way now so you can actually like live it live through it as through the writing and everything right that sounds really really awesome and that's such like a such a bold and ambitious thing to do but um i'm i look forward to um seeing the the website that you're gonna launch them in august 16th um to see more and learn more about this um New thank York you i appreciate yeah. yeah of course it sounds really really cool um and my next question is how has being an artist influenced you in your daily life good question I'm going to think about this one for a second. Yeah, take your time. It's it's definitely allowed me to be more free mm-hmm. while at the same time having something to prove every time I go to work on something. Free in the sense I can create whatever I want to create, and I'm really lucky and blessed to have a good team of friends and a good team of collaborators to work with to help me mm-hmm. create these visions. But in a good way, I have to prove myself every time to myself again when I'm doing this work. You would think that you would get to a point where it's like, oh, well, like I can do this confidently and everything, which is which is true or more or less accurate. But then you have, I can't really identify what kind of pressure it is, but you just know that you have to like outdo yourself. You know, I know that I have to outdo myself, at least in my head. It doesn't really matter what other people think, but I have to outdo myself in my head, whatever the idea is or however I execute it. And thanks right. to my friends and collaborators I've worked with, I've been able to learn a lot and be more professional and be more direct with everything that I'm trying to do. So it's it's evolved really positively that way, for sure. Right. Um, but that's that's what it's like. Being an artist every day is a, a really good thing. <laughs> it's a, that's an understatement. It's a re, it's who I am, and it feels really good. Uh, I'm really grateful for it, the ability, for sure. Yeah, awesome to hear. Um, and. Obviously, now, um, you know, it's been um, just about three months since um, Ontario kind of went into this whole COVID-19 lockdown sort of thing. And even though things are kind of like opening up like phase 
too has happened in Kingston and stuff. Yeah. How did the whole COVID-19 pandemic affect your career and practice in the arts? And what did you kind of learn from that whole experience? Quite positively, I would say. I had, I had a lot of downtime. I still do have a lot of downtime to be in the studio and working. Not that I didn't have any downtime beforehand, obviously, but I was able to calmly, you know, everything kind of paused for a bit. And I was able to catch up with everything that I had put off. So finishing high school, did that. And then the work situation, it was nice to have a little bit of a break from that, um, like working just in like the downtown restaurants and everything. So now I'm at a place where it's everything, right, phase two is happening. And I'm questioning whether I want to go back to the restaurants because I'm able to make profit. I've been getting a lot of commissions lately. Mm-hmm. And I think now more than ever, people want art. They might not be able to afford art, but they definitely want art. They want yeah. beauty. They want openness. And they want what I and others can create, importantly. Mm-hmm. So it's a really pivotal time right now to, to be an artist. And I think, if anything, it's it's enhanced my career because it allowed me to pause. And it allowed kind of the whole world to pause for a second. And you really see where everyone's values lie. And you see how important art is. And you see how important the role of an artist is and how much influence that they have and that's what I'm trying to be respectful of and and gain more of every time I go to work mm-hmm. yeah and I've seen like um things saying that like you know don't forget that the arts is what got a lot of people through like this whole pandemic you know movies music um poetry um even just people taking up hobbies and that sort of thing so yeah I totally yeah. totally get that yeah um and on that note, would you say that the – kind of a big question, but would you say that the arts are an essential? Yeah, for sure, of course. Is life essential? Is is the air essential? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and another sort of big question for you, um, where do you sort of see your career heading in the future, and what do you kind of hope to be, hope to do and gain from this whole experience? I see, here's a question. The way I see my own personal career going is more or less steady in the way it is already. Continuing to produce more of my friends and continuing to create work that I really, like pushing myself to a boundary that I think is really great and keep expanding on that. Continue to create shows, whether they're virtual or they're, you know, I I have no idea how long it's going to be until I can do a physical show again. But Mm -hmm. finding new and innovative ways to, to continue what I'm doing to like up the ante to continue bettering my work, my process, finding out more about my process to enhance the work that I'm able to do. I want to start launching these products. So as I said, I'm writing a book that we're going to be able to sell. I'm doing a t-shirt with a, a store downtown Kingston called wit. They're sponsoring or they're doing a capsule collection with me nice. in August. So I want to do more products. I want to do more things that I can sell. I want to do more prints. I want to just find new ways to get my art out into the world. I want to continue doing public art installations that may or may not be legal. I want to continue doing performance art pieces. I, I just want to continue thriving what I'm doing. Yeah, that sounds really, really awesome. And Thank when you. you're co- um, like collaborating with people, like how do you kind of, um, well, how do you like first reach out and kind of work with them? Like what's that whole process like collaborating with a lot of people? Because there are some artists who, don't prefer that um, or yeah. who ha- have difficulties with that. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I I think my blessing is that I love people. I, I love interacting <laughs> with people. I love connecting people uh, who would otherwise maybe never meet and just to try and enhance everybody else's life, including my own, importantly. So 
when I work with people, I reach out to them and I'm just happy to talk to them. And if they want to engage with me and if they want to talk with me, then that's great. But if not, then then that's fine. They don't have to. I can just tell them how much I appreciate their work. If it's another artist I'm reaching out to, or if it's a photographer, uh, there's always like a financial aspect to everything, of course. Mm -hmm. So I just try to respect people because that's what I want to get to. I want to get your respect. I don't want to have any any BS. I don't want to waste my time with anything. So I approach it like that. Like I have this proposition. I have this collab show we could do. I have this photo shoot we could do. And obviously there's a financial aspect to all of it, as I said, but I just approach it with like respect and love and I love people. So I, I love that sort of stuff, just connecting with people. Nice. Good to hear. Um, yeah. And how can the um, either Kingston community or even the greater Kingston community um, support artists um, during a time like this? They can be more open. Can you That's elaborate a little bit on that? they can be more open of different avenues of art. It doesn't just have to be commercialized art. It doesn't just have to be tourism art. It doesn't have to be anything that Kingston might be branded as before. It can be anything. It can be young. It should be young. That's my, that's it. Everything should be young and energetic. It shouldn't tire you. It shouldn't bore you. Art should be in your face. And if the Kingston community were more open to that, which is great because they have Skeleton Park Arts Fest, which is doing a part, and you have kids like me who are doing their part. But mm-hmm. Kingston needs to be more open to different avant-garde, new, innovative ways of doing things, because otherwise mm-hmm. we'll just be left in dirt. Right. Um, and also, I saw on your website um, that it says that you are the director of Four World, and I was just wondering what that is, and if you would maybe be willing to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Four World is what I label myself as when I'm directing all my friends and my colleagues and people I've hired in, anything like that. So it's the bigger team is what's called. It used to be called Four Forever, and then I've changed it to Four World because that seems more inclusive. So mm-hmm. it's the guys in which I go under the, the team label, the art label that I've created. So if I ever want to do a big show, it's always going to be under Four World. It would be me in the show, or if I'm doing another runway show, or I'm doing a video screening or I'm doing anything that I can think of, the, the moniker will be Four World if it's in collaboration with other people that I've worked with in the past or just starting to work with. Okay. That's really, really cool. Um, Thank you. And my – oh, what was my other question? Totally lost. It just popped up. It totally lost it. Um, no rush. Oh, yeah. Um do you have um are you doing like any online events or anything that people can check out during this time if, even if you can't do stuff in person? Currently, I am in the Skeleton Park Arts Fest Next Door project. I am at Montreal and Raglan Street. I have three paintings up in an old Chinese restaurant. You can awesome. go down and see that. The whole point of that show is that it's very much opposed to have gathering. It's very much about walking through this whole neighborhood as if it were a gallery. So you can walk by and see three pieces that I've put up there from now until August 17th. And that'll be, yeah, so I put it up on June 17th, so it's about two months straight of of my work being up there. 
digitally, I have something coming out August 16th, and that was the aforementioned Love Me New York website that me and my mm-hmm. friend are putting up and that my friend has created with me. So that mm-hmm. will be going up in, in mid-August. Those paintings are up right now on Montreal and Raglan Street in Kingston. And I'm always doing things on my Instagram, performance pieces, anything that I like, video projects, anything like that. Yeah. Awesome. Great to hear. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add before we end off? Thank you. Thanks to everyone who's like watched watched me continue to work, and thanks to everyone who's ever supported me. Thank you. Oh, Truly, thank from the bottom of my heart, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's a it's a really great line of work, and it's intimidating at times, and it's fun at times, and it's always fun actually. <laughs> it's always a good thing to think about. It's always positive. Um, awesome. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I was really glad to be able to talk to you. This was like a great conversation and I'm glad I got to learn more about you and your process and your work and stuff. And I've got to say, like, I was really scrolling through your Instagram and like the some of the stuff that you've done is just amazing. Like, in my opinion, deserves to be in one of like in MoMA or something. I don't know. But <laughs> thank you very much. We'll get yeah, there. I'm not worried. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you so much again. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break before our interview with Mariah, and we're going to listen to Saturday Night by Canadian band Yukon Blonde here on CFRC.
back and you're listening to Today in YGK with Alexandra Fernandez on CFRC 101.9 FM. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Francisco Corbett, an artist here in Kingston. Now we're going to move on to another amazing youth artist here in the Kingston area, Mariah Horner, who is also involved with CFRC as she is the director of the shortwave theater festival and she's also the co-founder of the Cellar Door Project. So let's give her a call. Hi, Mariah. Yes, that's me. Hi, nice to meet you. Well, meet you over the phone. I'm Alexandra from CFRC. Hello, nice to meet you. How's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? Oh, good. I just got a coffee. Yeah, how about you? you are you in Kingston or are you elsewhere? I am in Kingston. I just got back, actually, um, funny enough. So, yeah, that was a, it was a good drive. Huh? But, yeah, I'm just chilling at home right now um, with some tea. Oh, nice. How long have you been working with CFRC? Um, So I actually worked last summer full-time as well. So I started um, at the end of May last summer working the same job. And then I came back in May for my new job. Yeah. So yeah, so it's been about um, just over a year working um, and like being involved with the station. But so that's been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Um, I'm really good friends. I used to, yeah, it's close, but I was a bartender at the Grad Club. Okay. So I'm really good friends with um, Steph and Dean. Yeah. And I'm kind of a little bit in bed with CFRC anyways because I host the trivia on Thursdays. Oh, nice. Awesome. And then I also, uh, I'm the festival director of the Radio Theater Festival coming up in November. Right, shortwave, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, how has everything been um, for you with, you know, the whole COVID situation and stuff? Yeah, it's been, you know, obviously a little bit weird. Um, so before COVID hit, I was um, bartending at the grad club. And I was also, I just finished producing a show with my company, uh, Cellar Door Project. We did a show with um, Tracy Guptill and Anarch Theater and Kay Kenny at the Grad Club, and we closed on the, like, last day everything was open. Like, it was oh, wow. really, like, our last show was Friday the 13th, and then, like, everything kind of closed that Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty, like, a really striking um, kind of timeline for me because I had just to when everything closed, I had to kind of wake up to the reaction of, oh, shoot, maybe that's the last time we're going to do that kind of stuff for a little while. Right. Um, so I do remember, like, the, the last show was really meaningful, and I remember gathering in the room, and there was this real palpable sense of folks in the room being like, oh, gosh, are we really going to get to do this again in a month? Or, you know, it was really, um, it felt like the reckoning a little bit. Yeah. But... It's not all doom and gloom because I, once I finished that show, I'm really lucky. I've been working with a company based out of the Isabel uh, for a few years called Spiderweb Show. 
Okay. And they run a festival every summer. It's new. They've only been around for three years, and they run this festival called Solda, Festival of mm-hmm. Live Digital Art. Yeah. Um, so I worked with them. So I'm, I've been their digital content producer for the last three years. So it was great because, you know, as soon as the, uh, the pandemic hit, they called me, and they're like, well, we're going to have lots of work because the whole festival existed online. Right. So the interesting thing for me in my practice as an artist is I kind of worked for the last few years specifically. I've done a lot of digital work. And I've done a lot of really small scale immersive shows. Mm-hmm. So when I think about my colleagues across the sector that work in theater, I think they have it a lot worse than I do because I know a lot of folks who work in theaters that have, you know, 500, 600, 700 people. Um, and that's kind of never been the work that I was doing anyways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's really dire. I think it's it's about to be a, a pretty big moment uh, in Kingston, but I think everywhere where a lot of artists are going to have to pretty starkly reimagine what their practice looks like. Like, it's not yeah. just about surviving and, like, finding ways to do keep doing what you're doing. It's like, oh, no, you kind of have to have the vision and the gumption to look at it and reimagine it and flip it on its head and flip it upside down. And that's really mm-hmm. overwhelming for people when people also, like, can't do their rent. Right, yeah. No? Yeah, definitely a change and an adjustment and something that is going to, yeah, just people are going to have to adapt to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so jumping right into it, can you just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of, uh, you know, like where you grew up, kind of what you studied and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, totally. So I grew up um, in the GTA, Ajax. Ontario. Uh, I came to Queens for my undergrad when I was 18, and since I left to come to Queens, I have kind of been in Kingston ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Ottawa for a few years doing my master's, um, and then I came back again. So I worked mainly, I started at Queens studying uh, history and drama and media in both of them. And when I was in my second year, I co-founded my theater company with a friend of mine named Devin Jackson. And we founded Solidor Project, and since 20, we founded in 2012, and we've done 15 shows since then. And, um, you know, I was, I was always really interested in working in non-traditional spaces. So when okay. I was a second-year student, uh, I was, you know, trying to figure out I want to produce my own work, I want to make my own shows, and then I would see, like, oh, God, it costs, like, however many dollars to rent the Grand Theater. Like, so impossible for me to imagine that. Mm-hmm. way too expensive so we started thinking like what else can we use that would allow us to still be able to pay our people and not spend like three thousand dollars on venue cost right so we started to look towards non-traditional spaces so bars and parks and cemeteries and record stores basements um this model has always allowed me to work with businesses and, and community spaces together in town but it also allowed me to pay my artists like since 2012 when i was in my second year we were, we were paying people fees it wasn't community theater and um although i have nothing against community theater i think that that's one of the major challenges in kingston is that we don't really have a thriving professional theater scene mm-hmm. um and that's always something that i've been really passionate about so i started doing social and I did that for a few years, went to Ottawa to do my master's, and then I came back to Kingston because I was invited to be the artistic director of the Storefront Fringe Festival for, the, awesome. for a few years. So I did that for two years, loved it, it was great, and a few really big years in a row. And then I was just kind of transitioning into 
into freelance, uh, directing and acting and producing. I do some like community workshops in town specifically about freelance. Some of what I'm mostly interested in is um, either for regular folks. You know, I think that in Kingston, but also I think everywhere, there's this real elite sense of what theater is. And, you know, you got to dress up and go to a theater and sit quietly and have money. I think it's 35, 40 bucks for shows. Mm-hmm. And really part of what drives my practice as an artist is, you know, I work at a bar and I, I bartend in, in concerts and all of these very cool people are coming to see concerts. And why aren't they coming to see theater? Um, right. That's kind of been a lot of my thinking over the last, eight years about what kind of work I make. And I make work in bars and record stores because people like bars and record stores better than they like going to the theater. <laughs> and I have this real love of, you know, if you meet a person at their level, how much more likely they're they're going to explore um, something profound with you instead of, like, you know, meeting them at a level above above them. I'm really into trying to make theater, um, you know, not precious and playful and silly and, you know, you can drink a beer in the play and when you're doing the beer festival, that kind of stuff. So that's probably about it. Um, I'm starting my PhD at Queens in September. Oh, awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, like part of the re- it's always been something that was on my mind to do, but part of the reason I shouldn't into doing my PhD was that I'm really scared about what this sector is going to look like as a whole. You know, art sector in general, but also theater sector. I'm really nervous about the next granting cycle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's going to be huge cuts. I think that a lot of theaters that I've worked with in the past are going to be not having shows for the next two, three years. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, now would be probably a good time to be with each and hide away in an office. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about it, the cultural studies at Queens, and I'll still be looking and asking the same questions that I do through my work, but instead in theater, because I really going to be close for a little while. Yeah, so that sounds really awesome. And I know that you were saying that you um, are the co-founder of the Cellar Door Project. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that and what it is and what sort of inspired um, you to and Devin to start the organization together? Yeah, so we started the organization because both of us were really, like we were both history and drama majors when we, or he was a minor, I think, but we were both interested in drama and history. And I had this class at Queens by a professor in the history department named Stephen Maynard. And he did this project, I remember, where he asked us to do a lot of um, archival historical research about the prison cells that are in the basement of Kingston City Hall. Um, And we had to find people's names and where they lived and go through newspaper articles from the 1800s and Mm -hmm. figure out these people's life stories. So at the end of that project, I kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, there's 10, 15 fully understood characters here, of people that have gone in and out of this space. And, you know, we, we found this woman that was 106 years old and had she had been arrested like more than five times in the late 1800s because she was always out on the streets. Essentially, she was arrested for homelessness. Okay. And, you know, like that that's a brilliant um, a, a brilliant look into a moment that's not like ours at all. Uh, and performance is a really cool way to elicit that empathy and really allow you to understand that in a city like Kingston, we're sharing spaces that have been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so then we started doing that. That was the first show we did. It was called The Lockup. We did it in 2012. And since then, we've always really been interested in finding these spaces around Kingston and a few in Ottawa that really have um, an intense cultural memory or they're quirky spaces or they've been around for a really long time. Right. And what we'll do is we'll do some archival research, we'll do some interviews, and then we make a fiction, a piece of theater that's about that place, and then we'll do it in the place. So okay. some of our, yeah, some of our biggest shows in the past few years, we did um, four runs, I think, now of a show called New and Used that was at Brian's Record Options. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in Brian's Record Options? I have not. I've always wanted to go and visit, though. It just seems like a really cool place. Oh, it's so cool. It's, he's it, like, you know, Brian of Brian's Record Option has been the only person that's ever worked there since 1989. Wow, I had no idea. And it's like he's still there, and it's um, it's a really small, tight space. Our audience capacity was eight, so it was two actors and eight audience members in there. Mm-hmm. We did the whole play in the record store. And the best part of that for me was a lot of the folks who came were folks that had never been to theater. They loved Brian's. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of, since since the beginning of Cellar Door, I've really been interested in ways that performance can act as community building. And, you know, you, we'd finish the show at Brian's Record Option, and then there'd be, like, four audience members that would stay in the store for two hours after talking to him. And that feels like a really authentic, um, grassroots, community kind of making art that's not just about, like, hey, applauded us for our choreography and then mm-hmm. pay a $50 ticket and we'll leave. I'm kind of really interested in ways that theater can elicit and encourage and complicate uh, communities that these spaces are in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's kind of been, like, that cellar door, like, since 2012, I think we're on show number 16 now. Um, oh. We just did one, and it's going to come back again in November, about the radio station. Mm-hmm. about CFRC. The show's called Talk to Me, and it's about okay. a, a sex uh, a sex and dating advice call-in show. Okay, but, very cool. Yeah, the whole thing happens on the radio. So the two of us are actual radio hosts, and people can call in. And so we did a little version of it in June, and we're going to do it again through, through Shortwave in, in November. Awesome. That sounds really, really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And in addition to this, you've worked on so, so many stuff. Like I was reading your bio on the um, Cellar Door Project website and stuff. And then, and you also mentioned it earlier when you were speaking, um, that you worked with um, FOLDA, the Festival of Live and Digital Art. Um, and that happened pretty recently. So can you just t- um, tell, um, talk about um, how the event was and um, sort of how it kind of went and the success of it? Yeah, for sure. So Folda is run by a company called Spiderweb Show. Right. And they're based out of the Isabel. And I've worked with them for the last three years as their digital content producer. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of social media. It's a lot of, again, kind of community building on the Internet. Like, how do you make a bar? How do you make something that feels like a bar, but it's on the Internet? Those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year's Folda, what was really fascinating is we've always done it at the Isabel, but it's been digital art. So the rule is anything that has some sort of live digital integration, mm-hmm. and it can exist in Folda. Right. So last year we had this very cool play called Mine, where half of the play um, existed in Minecraft. Oh, that's so awesome. 
It was so cool. So you'd watch, it was about mothers and sons and how they bonded through this video game. And you'd watch a mother and son in real life as actors, and then you, it would jump into them playing Minecraft together. That's so cool. So cool. So that kind of worked. And, um, but this year, the festival happens the second week of June every year, and, or the beginning of June every year. And this year, March 13th turned, we were at that point, we're planning to fly everyone into Kingston and, you know, do the festival as we would, but March 13th happened and, you know, the pandemic happened and we had to convince, um, not convince, but work with all of the artists to be able to shift the entire thing to existing online. Right. So the whole festival existed online. The whole festival was by donation. And we had, God, how many shows? I want to say like six or so shows from all around the country. Some of them were like our show was a sex radio show. There was um, a show that was oh, this beautiful artist from the L.A. who was doing puppetry, not puppetry, shadow puppetry and projections. Then we had um, a really amazing um, interdisciplinary, um, blind-friendly uh, video installation piece, kind of. So it was really interesting, and uh, it was huge success. I think it was mainly what was the success was watching these artists pivot in a matter of two weeks to be able to mm-hmm. you know, put all of their stuff on the Internet. Um, and it was new ground, right? Like, I think everybody wants to be together again and we all want to make theater again but it was a really cool exercise and when you're when you're stuck with challenge what is still possible and this has been a something I've been really passionate about for a long time is limitations and restrictions actually sometimes lead to incredible innovation an incredible opportunity and I think fold is a great example of it is like you know when we did the radio show we used a system where my co-host called into the show through Google Hangouts and then we ran that through the board. Mm-hmm. And like that that shit we wouldn't have done. And like sure that's not the most innovative thing ever, but I think there's other cool questions that art can ask when you're stuck in these kind of limitations and you have to be forced to be creative to find your way out of them. Right. For and sure. for me the best part of Folda is one of the things that they do compared to other festivals is they program the works that they program, they program them in three different phases, alpha, beta, or go. And that's borrowed from the tech sector. And what it means is that they program work at their festival that has never been tried before, never been seen before. It's like a first go at something. Mm, Whereas, you know, if you're going to go to Summerworks, you're going to go to like, you know, the Wolf Island Music Festival. Those are acts that have been rehearsed and they're finished. But this alpha beta go model allows artists to take risks, still get a fee, still get programmed, still get to be in a festival but take a different kind of risk and not be afraid of failure, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the only reasons, or not only reasons, but I think it's one of the reasons why this festival was so successful is because artists didn't feel like, oh, crap, if they, if this doesn't go well, I'm screwed. There was right. a real sense of playfulness and not preciousness, and I'm really proud to work with an organization that believes in that. And I think that right now with this huge shift with COVID, um, we have to find ways that artists can still pay their rent, but feel safe enough to take the risks that this new moment is bringing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think about musicians a lot, and a lot of musicians I know are not doing anything because live streams suck. And live streams, <laughs> like, they they're, they don't always sound good. and They're not they're the same, watching. yeah. They're, exactly, they're the same. We've watched so many of them. And I think that 
that kind of fear is very paralyzing where I wish I could say, hey, musician, here's a $2,000 grant. Try to do something super different. Don't do a live stream. Try something else. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I believe. That's why I'm a big supporter of universal basic income. That's why I'm a big supporter of we need to start funding arts at the experimental phase more, especially mm-hmm. municipally. Yeah. Um, because these artists are all have to try something extremely new. And shit is our livelihood, right? Like we have to be able to be paid while we're trying something extremely new. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's kind of a long way around the fold of question, but that's one of the reasons I think it's mm-hmm. such an inspiring festival is because, you know, the show that we did, we weren't sure everything was going to be okay. We still got paid. Everything worked. We learned a lot. Right. And I don't think that we would have been programmed in, you know, in, in a, in a bigger, like this, you know, in a bigger festival that required us to be completely finished and perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all really, really good points. Um, and in, on that note, I was going to ask you how the pandemic has affected your career and your practice in the arts. Yeah, it's like, I mean, two things. One, my turn towards the PhD uh, is a response to what I understand the next five years of my life as an artist will look like. Um, I thought that, you know, with with restrictions in the next few years, it's wise for me to focus inward on my, on my practice as an artist because um, the idea of me doing shows right now is sometimes challenging. But in the other sense... Um, I think a lot, study a lot of artists that work similarly to me. And if I'm doing shows that are in Brian's record option, per se, mm-hmm. I'm already experimenting with how close I can get to my audience, which like, if you're going to go see Hamlet at the Grand, they're not asking that question, right? Like you're in the audience there on the stage. Yeah. That's how close you get. But the kind of work that I've been making has always been about, can you be immersed? Can you rub shoulders with the actors can they be up your nose can they pass you things can you trip over them i'm really interested in closeness so when the question flipped on its head and began to embrace distance when we needed to have distance distance and proximity are just two sides of the same coin so it didn't feel impossible to me as an artist because it's always been interesting to me about how close can i get to someone i'm like okay well how far can i get from someone that's mm-hmm. still, it's kind of the same question, right? Like, there's a lot of artists in Toronto I really uh, admire. Uh, one of them is called Outside the March. And since March, they've been doing this show called um, The Mundane Mysteries. And the whole thing is like a week-long phone play. And you oh. call the actor and you spend the week on the phone with all these actors helping you try to uncover a mystery. Interesting. So interesting. And that same company is a company that a year ago made an escape room. So there are already these actors, and I would put myself in this category, there's a huge cohort of artists who have already been experimenting with what proximity looks like. So it's not surprising to me that some of us feel okay sitting in this space of distance. So right, one of yeah. the things that we did in May was I worked with uh, Laura Chagnon, who I think you know, mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, Kay Kenny, who's a dancer, and we made this little pop-up weekend performance called To You, and To You was a pop-up porch performance that was like a fake surprise birthday party. And we picked 20 houses in our neighborhood. We knocked on their door. We stood on their lawn. And we did a show. And we never touched anybody. We never came close to anybody. 
everybody was like, you know, the actors, we were on the lawn and these people were on their porches. But again, like that, it was a performance piece. It just only was a weekend. But it's not different questions. It's the same question of how close can I get to someone? It's just like, okay, well, I can't touch you. Can I still do something for you over here instead? Mm -hmm. And it was really like, you know, the pandemic brings a lot of challenges, but it also brings a kind of thirst. Um, I think there is an undeniable thirst for the arts right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like under people's tongues. Maybe it's not doesn't feel like primary because we're all worried about surviving right now but I do believe that as soon as we get out of this people are going to look around and be like oh how do I find joy again how do I find entertainment again like there's no like how many people do you know are binging Netflix right now right (laughs) myself included quite honestly (laughs) exactly me too girl like it's it's, you know there's no way that we're going to get out of this and not need art and um complication and profound experiences that come with music and theater and dance and and stuff like that with that um can you give us maybe some pointers on how the uh how the community can support artists during a time like this um when things are kind of how do i put this when we don't really have a timeline of when things are going to end really yeah it's a good point and it's you know it's really tricky also to answer that question, I think, in the wake of a lot of folks opening their eyes to a lot of um, systematic injustices. You know, we kind of have two pandemics, two crises that are going side by side here right now, and they interact with one another. Even when you ask me that question, it's like, how can support artists? How can people support artists? I'm like, well, well, make sure you're supporting Black folks in your community first, mm-hmm. and then have a conversation. But, you know, there's lots of, lots of Black artists that need support as well. But I think... You know, a lot of it is about, you know, there's, there's, I can think of a few bars downtown or musicians that are playing shows. And if you're watching anything that's from a local musician or a local artist, tip them. If you have the means, pay artists directly for their work. Buy local. Like I would say another great example of a local arts arts organization that's really trying to continue a dead on collective which is an independent arts collective like you can buy their stuff online right now mm-hmm. um and then i think the other piece of it is be really vocal um about as a community our importance on the arts you know the city is about in the next two years our budget's going to be all out of whack with the city of kingston oh yeah it's going to totally. be a lot a lot of questions about what to support and what to um, what to shepherd and what to continue to hold dear to us. And I think we need the city and the people that live in Kingston to make sure that they're saying the arts. You know, mm-hmm. like the city of Kingston, a lot of folks were temporarily laid off and a huge number of that those layoffs came from the culture sector. And although I know that has to happen, that really gives me a pit in my stomach because I worry about the city's priorities. Right. And, you know, for years we've been understood as a musician's town. The hip is from here. We're an arts town. Okay, well, then put your money where your mouth is and help your arts stay here. <laughs> right. You know, and I think that's another thing that people can do is, like, write to your counselor, um, talk to the, the Kingston Arts Council about ways that you can continue to make it known that arts are vital. And then yeah. also try to find some local artists that are doing the work. There's, like like I said, Dead On Collective is still making work. There's a bunch of musicians that are doing shows. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a ticket for a show that was coming up, 
um, and it's from a smaller company, consider leaving that as a donation. If you have the means, consider donating. And then mm, I think the other thing idea. is, yeah, I think the other thing is about making sure that, you know, you start, we start, we we keep thinking about local as well as we're all watching Netflix. Be like, is there anything that I can watch that was like Kingston or, <laughs> like, you know, there's a great film, a great local film that's free on the internet right now called Live in Kingston. Part of it was actually filmed at CFRC. You can watch it at liveinkingston.com. It's a it's a music documentary kind of a music movie about Kingston. There's lots of stuff that's that's here, um, but I think a lot of it is just making sure that you know, as citizens of this town, making it known that arts essential, mm-hmm. you know, find ways, if, if folks are interested in long-term ways of supporting artists, look into universal basic income. A lot right. of countries around Europe, art, arts, the art sector is not suffering in the same way it is in Canada because these artists have a guaranteed income, whereas Canadian artists, when served runs out, were screwed. Mm-hmm. We're screwed, so that would probably be my... I'm just in the CFRC. There's another one. <laughs> Thank you so much for having this phenomenal conversation with me. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. chatting with you and yeah, sharing you some well. of your ideas. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Mariah. It was great speaking with you. All right. You as well. Thanks. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Bye. That concludes today's episode of Today in YGK. I hope you enjoyed the special programming in collaboration with the Kingston Arts Council to promote youth artists here in Kingston. Um, I hope that you have a lovely Canada Day um, and that you enjoy this amazing weather and I hope that you all stay safe. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to CFRC. Thank you for listening to Today in YGK, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.